0: We're going to go ahead and get started with the next session. The food is delicious. And spiritual too. Yes. Good to see you all here. Looks like uh, an asparagus. Thing and butter, and it's delicious. It is. Good morning. Good morning. I didn't. I I, uh, I had a big breakfast. I have no appetite for lunch yet. So yes, a little snack is not harmless. All right, let's let's bow our heads as we begin with prayer this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for camp meeting. Thank you for the experience we've been able to have here this week so far, and I pray that you would continue to bless and guide and lead. Send your spirit to open our minds and our hearts as we open your word. Help us to understand, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I uh, grew up in a home where my dad was a call porter. Familiar with what a culporter is? Um, Selling the books. That's that's a French word for peddler of books. Culporter. And uh, it's a term that we as Seventh-day Adventists use uh, describing the literature evangelism ministry and the work that goes on with that. My dad did that for 18 years, knocking on doors. And uh, uh, I swore that I would never... Follow in his footsteps, but I'm thankful that the Lord works in mysterious ways and and gave me some experience in the Colporter ministry. Um, I did that myself for eight years, um, full time as well as leading in student literature evangelism programs. And I look forward to this coming Sabbath afternoon. I'm sure you do too, because this Sabbath afternoon I think it's at two thirty. Uh, we're going to be blessed by the Culporter, the Literature Evangelism team from the Nevada-Utah Conference. They'll be sharing some experiences that they've had this summer, and uh, we will be blessed this Sabbath. So, you remember yesterday we, we talked a little bit about Nehemiah as a man of prayer. In my Culporter experience... That is probably one of the most important lessons I learned, was the value of prayer. Amen. Uh, I, I'd just like to share an experience I had. One day, I, just one day out of the summer, I decided to uh, pray about everything. Did you hear me? Everything. I decided to pray about everything for one day. And I discovered something that day. It was powerful. Um, Now, I'm not suggesting that every day must resemble something like what I experienced. That's not it at all, because the Lord is going to work in your life differently than He worked in mine. But... Can I emphasize the importance of prayer too much? I don't think I can. I think prayer is far more important than what I, anything I can say today. His Word, the Lord speaks for Himself and how important prayer is. I got up in the morning and I decided I was in charge of, of five students that summer, the same five students all summer long. And so we had our certain territory that we worked. And we would drive out there and, and I would arrange the students on the streets just so that we could cover the territory, knock on every door. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I sat down that morning, I read my Bible, I prayed, and I told the Lord this. Lord, I'm going to talk to you at every turn I make today. I'm going to talk to you about everything I do today, if possible. If I remember to, I I will be doing that. And Lord, if, if I am going to make a decision, such as pointing to an area on the map and saying, this is where I'm going to work today. Or if I make a decision about which way I'm going to turn I am going to claim your promise in Isaiah 30:21, which has been a key text to me. Isaiah 30, 21. You may want to remember that one. It says something very interesting, and those of you who are looking it up right now, you'll see this interesting point. It says, at least in the King James Version, it says, you will hear... And you will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. The very, very interesting thing I want to point out to you that you may have already noticed is the fact that it says, it tells you when you're going to hear the voice behind you. That verse tells you when you're going to hear the voice behind you. You will hear a voice saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When? When you turn! When you turn! This floored me. To to realize that I'm going to come to a point of decision, and I'm going to make my decision. And that's when I hear the voice behind me saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. Before that, I was claiming the promise all wrong. I was saying, Lord... Uh, you promised that you would, uh, speak to me somehow and tell me which way to turn. That's not how, that's not what it says. It says you will hear the voice when you turn. It changes everything. Now we come up to a point of decision and we say, Oh, Lord, should I do this or should I do this? Should I go right or should I go left? Uh, what do I do, Lord? And we sit there and we, Ring our hands and we wonder, what's the next thing I should do? Lord, please write it across the sky or Lord, use a person to tell me or Lord, speak to my heart, lay an impression on me or something, lead me uh, in the way I should go. Lord, you said that um, you'll make a plain path before my feet. You would lead. And so I come up to this point of decision and now I'm stuck because I'm not hearing a thing. The Lord is silent. Now what do I do? And so this verse means everything to me. Isaiah 30:21. You will hear a word or a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Now, if you turn to the right or you make a correct decision, let's say, you're going to hear a voice Behind you, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but I know what it sounds like to me. Okay? When I hear that voice, it says, you're doing the right thing. And it's powerful. Now, on the other hand, if I make the wrong choice, if I go down the wrong path, if I choose something that is less good for me, then the right decision would have been, what am I going to hear? The same message, the same message. He says, I'm going down this way, right? He says, this is the way, walk ye in it, right? And then I realize, oh, okay, I'll go the right way. Does that make sense? Okay, exactly. I I asked the Lord, I'm going to point at the map, I'm going to submit every decision I make today to you for affirmation or not, uh, and I'm going to listen for your voice. Now, I'm a thick-headed human being that can't see beyond the end of my nose. And so I I actually was brazen enough to tell the Lord, to, to share with the Lord what my desire was as far as, how he should speak to me. I asked him, Lord, could you affirm in my heart that I'm doing the right thing by simply letting me do the right thing? Are you with me? Is that confusing? Okay. He could speak to me and tell me I'm doing the right thing simply by letting me do the right thing. Are you with me? On the other hand, if I do the wrong thing, Lord, could you sort of put a question in my mind? Like, uh, you know, that look on my face, like uh, maybe uh, maybe the other way, uh, you know, that's all. And I can't really describe to you what it was that day, what, how, how uh, that felt. But it was that was my request to the Lord. I pointed at the map. I said, this is the area that I'm going to work today, Lord. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So I, I took that and I said, okay, Lord, the silence tells me this is what you want me to do. Okay? Then I went out, collected my five kids. We got in the vehicle and drove down the interstate. <clears throat> there were three exits that go to the general area to which I wanted to work that day. The first exit came along, and I didn't intend to go to that first exit. My intention was to go to the second exit. So I came to the first exit, and I said... uh, It actually didn't cross my mind until I saw the exit, by the way. I got to the exit, and I was like, oh, I should ask if the Lord would rather me turn on this exit instead of going down the interstate. Remember, I was I was submitting every little detail of my entire day to the Lord. I'm not even going into all the details. It would be a forever long story. It was a cool experience. It was an awesome day. I'll tell you that much. I came by the first exit, and I went ahead and turned into the right lane, preparing to take the exit, you know, just in case, because if the Lord impressed me to take the exit, I wanted to be ready to take the exit, and I... I came into it and I turned on the blinker. I was like, "Eh, let's stick with the second one. And I was like, "That I didn't didn't come up with that. I didn't purposely go, "Eh," question the Lord. I didn't do that. And so I said, Lord, I take that as you saying, don't take the exit, keep going straight. I choose, I was telling the Lord this, I choose to believe you, Lord, this way. I know I was getting close to the line, putting him in a box, okay? I know that I was getting real close to that line. But I, I was telling the Lord, I'm going to take it this way. I'm going to take this hesitation as you saying, don't do it. So please, Lord, don't let the devil pull a fast one on me and give me some doubt, okay? As far as that, uh, you know, hesitation. Don't let the devil do that to me. Anytime I feel it, I'm going to take it as from you, Lord. And I believe the Lord protected me from the devil that day. I believe any uh, little question mark I experienced was from God leading me the other way. And so as I proceeded down the interstate, the promise came true. I was satisfied with it. Second exit came along. I took the exit. I was satisfied with it. But you know what? The devil did come in and attack me. The Lord protected me from the devil. I told you. The Lord protected me from the devil suggesting that little question mark thing. But that doesn't mean the devil didn't tempt me in another way. I got up to the stop sign at that exit ramp. I was like, Okay, Lord, should I turn right or should I turn left? I went ahead and turned right. Nothing. Now... There were two instances in a row, that is, taking the exit and taking a right at the stop sign, when I felt nothing. Are you with me? That's when the devil stepped in and he said to my, he whispered in my ear, You really think this is the Lord's leading? There's silence. He's not speaking, He's not speaking to your heart. And I I thought to myself, man, Lord, I don't hear you. I don't don't sense you listening. Uh, I don't sense you speaking to me. You you know, am I really being foolish today, uh, doing things the way I'm doing things with you, Lord? And right away, my mind was set at ease. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So I turned right. Remember, there was nothing. I I uh, drove the eight miles to the nearest town down that highway. Uh, in the town in New York where this was located, there was a large town center with a roundabout. You you know what a roundabout is. This was very large roundabout. There was a city park in the center of it. So you go around all. It's one-way traffic all the way around this whole thing with streets going off every so often. I went by the first I'm going on the roundabout and I went by the first street. I didn't feel any inclination to go that way. I just kept on going around and I was okay with it. Nothing was really happening. I was trying to stay tuned in to the Lord and the second one, the third one, and the fourth one just across from where I had entered the town, the opposite side of the the uh, roundabout, I was like, I'm going to turn here. And it felt right. It just felt right. I turned, and there were probably, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen homes out along that street, and there was a gas station. That was it. I said, okay, Lord, we'll work here, but we're going to run out of territory real soon, so I'll need to check in with you again to know where to go to next. I'm just talking to the Lord in my mind. By the way, none of the five students had a clue what I was doing. Nobody knew what I was going through in my heart that day, what I had decided to do. This was just kind of an experience between me and the Lord for a day. I drove, po- drove past all those houses and I kept on going. I knew, uh, based on the map, that the nearest town was 18 miles further across the middle of nowhere and it was hardly anything to mention as far as the town goes, it's a little, a little spot in the road. Okay? I'm driving out into the middle of nowhere where there's literally trees on both sides and occasional swampy area, uh, meadows. No houses. I'm supposed to be knocking on doors this day. And I said, Lord, there's nothing out there. You know, I don't want to spend all day driving. To get to nothing. And it just felt right. And I said, okay, I am determined. Lord, even if, even if this isn't working, even if I'm just totally missing it today and I've just screwed up by, by interpreting your way of speaking the wrong way, even if I've done that, I'm going to stick to it. Because, Lord, I trust that you can do this. I trust that your promise is sure. I trust that you'll speak to me. And so I drove. About, I think it was seven or, between seven and ten miles out, there was a crossroads. And we're talking a two-way road out in the middle of nowhere, and a little country road crossed it. North-south country road. Crossed this road in the middle of nowhere, and there were four houses at the intersection. It wasn't the town. It was just happened to be four houses. At this intersection, one on one corner, one on the other corner, and two at the other corner. I remember it very distinctly. We arrived there at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We left those four houses at 8.30 that night. $2,800 in sales at those four houses. One of the houses was a hardcore Jehovah's Witness. And he was bound and determined to convince us of his teachings. And he said, I'll buy the whole set. I'll read them carefully and I'll prove you wrong. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, uh, that's great. And, and we ended the day... So blessed the students, you could not bring them down. It was just everybody was flying high. You, we ended the day and we all pulled off to the side of the road, and we just said, "Guys, are you amazed at what happened today?" And I just, I just sat there and I, I could not, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that God had actually. It kept His promise with me. He did that for me. Wow. You know, I, I think that our experiences can be so much richer if we would just do like Nehemiah did and fall on our knees or speak to the Lord in prayer at every turn we make. Every turn we make. Like to, again, if you don't mind, get a couple of volunteers to hand out my my handout today. Um, I don't know how many we need. Bracey, would you take some of those? Take some of those. Um, <clears throat> at the top of the hand, handout, I mentioned the fact that Nehemiah dealt with issues. He dealt with problems. In life, and all of us have problems in life to deal with. We've got decisions to make, we've got all kinds of issues that come up vehicle problems, family problems, um, relationship problems, you know, um, in our social life, whatever it might be. We've got um, the church problems to deal with. Uh, some are More closely connected with the political issues that we face all the time. Uh, It doesn't matter what the issues are we face in life. I believe the Bible deals with every one of them. And we can find encouragement and answers for every difficulty that arises in life. Nehemiah actually faced all kinds of problems we realize that what he was doing is embarking on the work of rebuilding Jerusalem. Was he not? As I mentioned yesterday, I'd like to look at this whole story as not just rebuilding the city, the broken and ruined city of Jerusalem, but a rebuilding and reconstruction and the renewing and the revival of a dead and broken, destroyed life. We all know them. Lives that have that are lying in ruins, that need rebuilding, reconstruction. That's the story of Nehemiah. And we begin with chapter 4 today. The enemy threatens to attack. says in verse 1 of chapter 4, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Does this sound like a problem? Nehemiah faced extensive problems. And this Sanballat guy spoke in verse 2 before his brethren and the whole army of Samaria and said, what? what are these feeble Jews doing? They like to be called feeble? What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to fortify themselves? Are they going to? Are they thinking to offer sacrifices? That is, are they thinking to renew the whole... Jerusalem thing and the temple and all that, do they really think they're going to do this? Are they going to revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Come on now. Are they going to revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Are there stones that need reviving in your life? And does the Lord think He can do that in your life? Absolutely He thinks so. Now, Tobiah, in verse 3... Was beside Sanballat, and he said, "Whatever they build, even a fox, if, if even if a fox goes up on it, it'll break it down." <coughs> then in verse four, we see how Nehemiah responds. How does Nehemiah respond to the mocking that we see in verses one through three? I left some blanks open there. You you feel free to take some notes if you want to. Um, But how Nehemiah responds in verse 4 is with prayer. Prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Don't... Cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Lord, your name is at stake here. Remember their iniquities. Um, Give them as plunder. Now, you all know the teaching of Jesus Christ. He said, what what did Jesus say? He said, love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you? How do we gel that teaching with Nehemiah, a man of God, Nehemiah, a man of prayer? How do we, how do we gel the teachings of Jesus with this prayer to bring his enemies to plunder? How do we do that? Let me tell you, my suggestion is Nehemiah is no ordinary man. He's not all hurt by this mocking that took place. He's not all, oh Lord, they've, they've, they've just mocked me. Uh, kill them. He wasn't speaking from that. Nehemiah was a powerful man and he was a godly man and he was a leader, a powerful leader. Good example of leadership for all of us, by the way. Nehemiah is coming from a position of leadership in defense of God's people. And he stands up against the enemy. He prays to the God of heaven to rebuke the enemy in defense of God's people. That's where Nehemiah is coming from. Did you know that Jesus also said that if someone were to offend a young one, That it would be better for that person if a millstone was tied around their neck and drop them in the middle of the ocean? Coming from the mouth of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, I take that as powerful. That's another example, the best example of leadership in defense of the people of God. That's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that neat? All right, they conspire to kill. Look at uh, verses 8 and 11. Just those two verses. It says in verse 8 of chapter 4, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Down in verse 11 it says, our adversaries said they will neither know or see anything. They won't have a clue what hit them. We'll strike so fast and deal such a decisive blow that they won't even know what hit them. Okay. That way we can cause the work to cease. How does Nehemiah respond to these conspiracies, these plans for the destruction of God's people? Not just mocking, by the way. Not just mocking. Did you notice that when the enemy threatens to attack in this case, I put in parentheses, from from where? Where does, where does the enemy threaten to attack from? In parentheses, I put from without. From outside is where the enemy attacks in chapter 4. From outside. And so here they are from the outside planning to destroy God's people. And Nehemiah responds in two phases. First, he prays. Is that a surprise to you by now? Yesterday and today we see that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. Everything that comes against him, it seems that he responds first by prayer. Please people, let's let's take this personally. Let's apply it to our own lives. Let's respond to everything with prayer. The second phase of Nehemiah's response is that he sets defenses At the low points, at the weak points of the wall, he armed the people there. He stationed people there. Nehemiah showed vigilance. Didn't he? Did he not? Be sober. Be vigilant. For who? Your adversary, right? Your adversary. The devil walks about. It's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the enemy in this story: the devil. Nehemiah was vigilant. Verses 9 and verse 13. Verse 9 said, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, that is the enemies, we set a watch against them day and night. Verse 13, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. This is a good story. I like this story. This is powerful. All through this chapter 4, through the remainder of the chapter, we see that the the walls were secure. The lesson I take from that is, remember we talked about the gates yesterday? The gates were burned with fire. They were destroyed. But so was the wall, was it not? It was all broken and lying in rubble. Uh, There were sections of the wall that they were rebuilding, and so you have, you have these pieces of the wall, and if you saw in the handout from yesterday, you can go around the wall and imagine what it might have looked like. These pieces of the wall that are being reconstructed, but then there's these low sections that weren't reconstructed yet that people could come through, no problem. The enemy could come in. And so they, Nehemiah sets extra protection at the low points. Where are your low points in life? Where are you most susceptible? I'm talking to you and myself today. Yes, we have those individuals in mind that we know of with broken and ruined lives. And we know what their low points look like. We know where a person might struggle because we can see it. But where do we here in this circle struggle? Is it sitting in front of the computer on the internet? Or is it... Uh, driving down the road and and having somebody driving extra extra slow in front of you where are your low points where can the devil come in and tempt you is it is it in your dealings with your children uh, some of you have grown children um, I have four young children and uh, is it in our dealings with our kids we do we uh, Have a low point there. Do we have a tendency to be hard on them, forgetting for just a moment, forgetting that we ourselves are way out of line? I'm speaking to myself. But where are our low points? That is where we need to set up extra defense, extra protection. We need to focus our energies on those low points because the devil wants to take us over. The devil wants to walk right over those low points and come in like a flood. Um, We don't want that. So we must arm the people, defend those low points, just like Nehemiah did. Check it out. Last verse of chapter 4. I found this kind of interesting. Nehemiah never changed his clothes. In fact, he encouraged all the people not to take off their clothes. For anything. You sleep in your clothes, you work in your clothes. The only time you take off your clothes is to wash them. Then you put them back on and you always wear your clothes. I thought that was kind of interesting. What do you think of when you think of clothes? She got it. The robe of righteousness. The clothing that the Lord provides. Uh, Let me ask you, does it make any sense to take off your clothes at any time? I'm talking about your clothes of righteousness. Absolutely not. Especially because, why? We're in the midst of dealing with an enemy that is trying to get in. An enemy that's conspiring against us. Uh, uh, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world are trying to destroy us today. Don't take off your clothes. Um, chapter 5. The people... Are attacked once again. The people are discouraged by financial oppressions. Now, this is an attack, is it not? Is it not an attack of the enemy of souls? From where? Now, the enemy in chapter 4 has attacked from outside. Here, the people are discouraged by financial oppression. That is the people amongst themselves. So, where is the attack coming from? From within. This is how the devil operates. If he can't get you from the outside by threatening to kill you or mock you, then he will subtly creep in and work from the inside out. Sometimes this is the most devastating attack of all, especially to God's people. Get them down and discouraged and under the burden of financial obligation and, and uh, hopefully... The discouragement will be too much for the people to keep their eyes fixed on Christ. Poverty in verses 2 and 3. There, these people are poor, like uh, so poor that they've had to mortgage their lands and their vi- vineyards and mortgage their houses just so that they could get food because of the, the famine that was in the land. I know some people today that have mortgaged their houses in order to make ends meet in certain areas of their life. Isn't that discouraging when we find ourselves under financial burden like that? Debt needs to be avoided like the plague, and I can't stand here in front of you and say that I am debt free. I'm working on it, though. This last December, my wife and I decided two things. We decided we're going to cut up the two credit cards that we had. Took the scissors to them. Didn't spend one more thing on them. Even though we knew that month if we spent $23, we could just pay the $23 and, you know, wouldn't charge us fees or anything like that. We just said, we're not going to do it anymore. We made some bad decisions and now we're, now we're paying for it. Literally. And, The other thing we decided, besides cutting up our credit cards, is we also decided that we were returning uh, our thanks to the Lord differently than we wanted to. Does that make sense? We, We actually took a look at our finances and we realized that my paycheck comes in, minus the taxes that are withheld, and then we pay our rent, which my paycheck comes from the folks that I pay my rent to. They own the house I live in. So we were returning a tithe to the Lord, our 10%, out of what was left after we paid the rent. Well, we stayed faithful. I will tell you, we were faithful in our tithe giving. Uh, I don't say that to boast. Um. But we realized this last November, December, when we decided to cut the credit cards, that we were also going to change our returns to the Lord. If we were to receive, see, we, re- we don't receive our rent money. That's only on paper. It's, like a, it's not money that we receive and then pay back. They just send us what's left after the rent is paid. So we were just paying on the check that we receive. Does that make sense? So then we decided, even though we're not receiving our rent money each month, we are going to pretend that we do. And we upped our giving accordingly. It was, it was not a whole month later. My first paycheck came in January, and I had a raise. I did not talk to anybody about this. It was just between my wife and I and the Lord. But this is an example of how God provides. God provides. Always. He's so good. By the way, the raise actually more than took care of the difference that we had decided to make in our returns. And we ended up with more in our pockets anyway. It was... Just a a neat miracle. And I know I got off on a side tangent. But, you know, debt is a terrible thing. That's my whole point. And um, when the devil can get you buried under debt, he's got you at a place where he can um, more easily discourage you throughout life's journey. And these people were discouraged. They were mortgaging everything because they were in such a bad way. Um, The debt in verses... Four and five, you can see the people were in debt. They owed. And and the people that they owed were charging them interest. And, you know, should this be happening between God's people? No. The Lord counsels us through the scriptures that we're not to uh, 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 charge interest of a brother. Okay? These people were doing that. They were out of line, and they needed some correction. And Nehemiah's response. What is Nehemiah's response? It comes in two phases again. The first phase just so happens to be, I know you're thinking prayer, but um, in verse 6 you can see that his first reaction was to become, it says, very angry. It says, very angry. The second phase of Nehemiah's response is that he rebuked, and counseled the people all the way through verse 11. Um, he encourages them to, to change how they are dealing with each other. Um, we've, we, the Lord has, has scattered us abroad because we weren't faithful to Him, and now He's bringing us back to the land of promise. Why should we be treating each other this way when the Lord is doing such wonderful things for us? And it says there in verse what is it? Verse six? No. Uh, verse eight. Last part of verse eight. It says that they were silenced. They didn't. <laughs> they had nothing. They didn't have a leg to stand on. So all the way through verse eleven, Nehemiah corrects them and and uh, encourages them to change. In verse twelve. The people responded by saying, "We will restore it. We will require nothing." From them, can you imagine being the the person in debt, <laughs> the person under so much stress and discouragement because of what you owe, and hearing this response? We will restore it. We will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Nehemiah does this shaking of his garments as a symbol of the change that's made, the covenant that's made uh, in the closing uh, part of that section. We also see that Nehemiah is generous. He doesn't take anything for himself. He does not even um, take unto himself or his leaders the part that's due them as their position requires. They actually didn't take anything more than the people took. Nehemiah was generous. He thought smart as a leader. I like that kind of leader. <laughs> I wish we... Now, never mind. I was going to say something about Congress, but I don't want to go into something political here. So, um, enough said, huh? Okay, chapter 6. The enemy... Attempts to compromise. Here is another attack of the enemy. This is just another tactic to destroy God's people. Where does it come from this time? From without again. He's attacked from without. Then he's attacked from within. Then he attacks from without again in chapter 6. By smooth words. Look at that. It says when it happened. When Sandballot, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in the wall, all those low parts that we were talking about, they'd all gotten built up. Um, although at that time, he says in verse one, we hadn't quite yet hung the doors in the gates. Uh, Sandballot and Geshem sent a note to me saying come let's meet together among the villages in the plain of Ona. Let's 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 go have a dinner uh a dinner meeting and uh we'll we'll treat you. It's on us. We'll we'll pay. We'll go to this fancy restaurant over here. Let's talk. We'd like to we'd like to talk a little bit. Nehemiah responds Nehemiah responds to the smooth words, the, the compromise of the evil one by simply answering them with an implied message. He implies what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Acts 5, 29, the disciples said, We ought to obey God rather than men. I like it. Nehemiah responds and says... I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? (laughs) I've got higher priorities, my friends. And uh, the Lord takes precedence here, so I'm sorry. I I have no time for you, enemy. This is a lesson to each of us today. We We need to face the enemy with an answer like Nehemiah had. Um they repeat themselves in verse four. They sent this message four times, trying different ways, you know, trying to persuade Nehemiah to come and negotiate, come and, and talk with them. Uh, these, this this repetition uh, is faced the exact same way. Nehemiah answered them in the same manner. In verse 4 it says, the same manner every time. Time after time. Do you get tired of answering the devil? One of my friends said that he's afraid to totally um, give his heart to the Lord. He's afraid to um, totally make a commitment because he's afraid that his he has to give this up and he has to give that up and he has to have a whole life of constant struggle, constant battle well would you honestly want to give your whole heart to the Lord if if that's how you viewed it? yet Nehemiah constantly answers them the same way he never gives in he doesn't finally get persuaded down the road um, so they try shaming him verses 5 through seven. These, this note is written, um, and he says, oh, it's um, <clears throat> been reported among the nations that uh, you are uh, thinking to rebel, and, and according to these rumors that are flying around, we've heard a lot of rumors about your program here, um, that you're rebuilding the wall, and you're, you've got some aspirations to become the king of this new city, and... And you've appointed prophets, and you've done all this stuff, and it looks a little fishy. You know, a lot of people are asking some questions, Nehemiah. So they try shaming him. How does Nehemiah respond? Verse 8, I said to him, saying, (laughs) it's not true. (laughs) There is no such thing as you say being done, but you are inventing them in your own heart. I like it. Is it okay to be direct when we're dealing with the devil? Come on. Let's not, let's not pander with him. Put him in his place. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't have to waste time with him. He's only trying to undermine the Lord and his name. Um, there's a lot of intrigue. I like this, the spying and intrigue that happens. It's really fascinating how Nehemiah deals with it as well. It just so happens that, that um, Nehemiah prays in verse 9. Uh, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. There we see him praying again. And afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, in verse 10, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahitabel, who was a secret informer. So Shemaiah was a secret informer for Nehemiah. uh, That is, the elders and the leaders of the city. Shemaiah would go out and find out these things about Tobiah and Sanballat and the other enemies and bring a report back. Well, Nehemiah discovers that, in verse 12, he discovers that the Lord had not sent Shemaiah at all after all. He was not working on their behalf. It says that he perceived that he prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He received a higher paycheck from the other guy, and so he turned coat. Wow. Um, Nehemiah's response in verse 14, My God, my God, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their works. And the prophetess, this is interesting, they had a prophetess. Uh, the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Obviously, we're talking about false prophets. And these false prophets were trying to create fear in the progress to stop the work from being done. Hmm. <laughs> Chapter 7, you find a city without organization. And if you're wondering if I'm going to go through the entire chapter of chapter 7, uh, have no fear. We see a long list, beginning in verse 6, of people. It's listed out, again, just a forever long list of Of people. This is actually a register of the genealogy of those that had come up in the first return, according to verse 5 here, chapter 7, verse 5. And so Nehemiah puts it in print. This is the record. So, what can we get from chapter 7? Simply this I suggest to you that what we see in chapter 7 is a city without organization. We now have a city, don't we? We have it built. It says right there in verse 1, it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors. And it goes on. But the wall was built and the doors were hung. There's no organization. There's nothing but what? Chaos. There's no direction within the city. And so immediately he goes into organizing the city. That's what this whole list is about. The importance of structure and and organization so that things move along smoothly and efficiently. Uh, I I see this as a lesson of chapter 7. Nehemiah's response is to organize. He placed somebody in charge. Uh, Happened to be a very close friend, Hanani. Remember, Hanani was the guy who came with his other friends and gave a report in the first place when Nehemiah was at work in the court of the king. So he puts Hanani in charge, Uh, happened to be, he calls him brother. (laughs) Nehemiah and Hanani were not necessarily, although they might have been, they were not necessarily blood brothers, but he calls him brother. He was a godly man. And that's who Nehemiah selects to be in charge. These four chapters, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and 7, they all remind me of a passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you'd just take a few moments here as we come close to a close. Somebody told me yesterday, when, what does a preacher mean when he says, uh, in closing? And I said, well, maybe 15 minutes. And he said, it means nothing at all. <laughs> um, it's so true. I, I'm not going to keep you more than a couple more minutes, though. 2 uh, Corinthians Chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, in verse 9, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Why not? Why are we not distressed? Why are we not in despair, or forsaken, or destroyed? Why not? I submit that it can only be because of a constant connection between us and God. You know, it baffles the angels to consider how little, I was going to say how much, but really how little us as humans pray. You know, it really baffles them. They they don't get that. It Um, they are constant witnesses of the power of God. They worship in in the presence of the Lord. And they see His awesome power. And they realize, when they see us praying, that they can see the action of that prayer being taken care of. They can see the action of that prayer being answered before we even speak, as Jesus said. The angels see all of this first and first. Hand and they sit back and wonder. You know, those humans have this word of God. And this word of God tells them to pray without ceasing, for example. And they wonder why is it that they don't pray more often? They have access to such incredible power and and they don't pray very often. <clears throat> The importance of prayer is unmistakable, is it not, in the story of Nehemiah? We see a reconstruction, a rebuilding of a ruined city, and we realize how important prayer was. Because Nehemiah prayed, and we can see the effects of his prayer, we can see what caused him to feel a desire to pray. Uh, How much more important is prayer in the work of rebuilding a broken and ruined life? Isn't it of much more importance? I'd like to close today with two quotes, and it's at the bottom of your handout. Great Controversy, page 519. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect, what? Two things. There are two things mentioned here. Prayer and the searching of the Scriptures will. No, does it say might or perhaps? Will. Will. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead lead to neglect those two things, prayer and the searching of the Scriptures, will be overcome by his attacks. Are you with me? You will be overcome by his attacks if you neglect those two things. Now, I can't leave you there because I love the beauty of the next statement. Those who will put on the whole armor of God... And devote some time, doesn't specify how much, it just says devote some time every day to meditation and prayer. There's the prayer, and to the study of the scriptures. Will, there's the word will again, will be connected with heaven and will have a saving, transforming influence upon those around them. Praise the Lord. He is good. I look forward to spending some time with you tomorrow as we go into chapter 8 of Nehemiah. Yes. Yes. Put on the whole armor. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, once again we come to you bowing before you, recognizing that you are an awesome God. And it seems so trite to say it that way, but I I mean so much more than what I'm saying, Lord. You know everything. You are all powerful. You're able to see the end all the way from the beginning. You know what's laid before us and Today, on behalf of this body of people, I just want to give us back to you, to be guided by your wisdom, by your foresight and knowledge. Lord, you are able to discern the most complex of situations. You have the answer for any situation we might face. Lord, I've, I've not been trusting of you as I should be. You've earned my trust and I have not been trusting. Would you forgive me, Lord, and forgive each of us for our, for our lack of belief in you and help us to believe you more. Draw us closer to yourself and help us to grow closer together to each other and, and um, to move forward bringing glory to your name. You've promised that we would be given strength. You've promised that, that you would be with us to the end. Um, this is what we claim in asking you to help us to that end. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.